Welcome back to the Red Sector, a podcast about speedy motorbikes. I'm your host, Matt Polanski. With me, as always, is Josh Wilson, Bono GP. Couple quick housekeeping notes. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at Red Sector Moto GP. Uh, be sure to leave us a five star rating and review. Uh, subscribe to the podcast. Really does help. So, uh, boys, we had a wild one this weekend at Barcelona. Uh, we're going to be talking Moto, a little bit of Moto E, Moto 3, Moto 2, Moto GP. But before all that, what did you guys think of the race this weekend? Josh? Yeah, exciting. All three were. Um... Yeah, full of kind of events, uh, for want of a better word, you know, entertaining races again. I think this this week or this race week, yeah, all three of them were worth watching. Um, I went and rewatched Moto Two because it obviously timed with F One, so I managed mm-hmm. to obviously because usually MotoGP, if they know that the F One race is going to be on at a certain time, they'll they'll make sure MotoGP is on before or after it. I think by the looks of it. Um, so yeah, I, I went and watched the Moto Two race after uh, F One finished, and that was yeah, I enjoyed that as well. So yeah, all round quite a good weekend. And Catalonia is a track that you know for F One, we know for F One it's pretty boring. It's one of the worst on the calendar, but for Moto GP, it's it's exciting. It's a really good track. <laughs> yeah, I kind of echo that. Um, a lot of people in the community give well in the F One community give Catalonia a lot of stick. And I'm always the first person to back it up in that, like, it's not the track. It's the fact your cars are about as wide as a double-decker bus. So yeah. if the cars aren't as wide and as long as what they are, which most racing series aren't as big as those cars, well, pretty much any series, and race on that track, you will get good racing because the track is genuinely, and I stick by this, one of the best tracks in the world circuits wise mm-hmm. it's one of the best circuits in the world no question so yeah and not only that another point i'm happy to have all three of us back on a podcast because it's been a while i don't yes. think we've had one together since Hareth, i want to say it's been a while since we've had a full podcast Is with it... one another might be lamont no because lamont mean me and matt did lamont i think I think we did. Was it, was it me and you? Uh, I can't quite remember. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was me. Yeah, and then you and two did the first one. quarter. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it has been. Yeah, so it would have been Jerez. Wow. Mm, That's a long time. Well, it's oh, good yeah. to be back. It's good to talk to you guys. Um, so we'll get right into it. Uh, quick Moto E. Um, we saw Miguel Pons win the race, followed by Dominique Altigar. Yeah. Agatar and Jody Torres. Um, eh, it was a all right race. It was it was Moto E. It was six laps. But yeah. then again, with how big Barcelona is, that's really all you can do. You know the the electric bikes around some of the smaller courses, you get more laps into them. But around Barcelona, you can't expect any more than six laps. I think you get do you get eight laps around Jerez. I think they did about eight, didn't they, or something? Seven or eight? I can't quite I remember. I want to say something like that. Yeah, with with Moto E, it's. I think people have still got to remember it's such a young sport of its own, if you like. It's still very, very early. So six lap, seven lap races are. You know, it, it, by the time that they've developed the bikes in maybe ten years, you might see a a twenty lap race of Moto E bikes that are a lot more developed, faster, in general, better racing, like. I think some races I watch in Moto E, like you say, it, they're very Moto E-ish, aren't they? They're very mm-hmm. generic with the kind of 
repetitiveness in terms of how they tend to play out. But having said that, like you do see a lot of good talent come through Motoe and maybe people like some riders that you would assume are almost wasted talents in that they've done well in world championship and maybe just not had the right bike or, you know, the career has gone wrong at the wrong time. Somebody like Dominic Agata, Jordi Torres comes to mind, even like Yoni Hernandez, who on his day back in 2015, 14, I don't know if you remember Josh, but Yoni Hernandez was a, a very decent yeah, rider in GP. Isabel. So it's, you know, you, yeah, you it's one of them though. Just it like it can happen in F1 MotoGP. You can be sometimes you can be you know a talented, but if you're in the the wrong you know bike or car at the wrong time, and there's other people coming up and there's lots of musical chairs coming out, you can just find yourself without a drive or a ride through yeah. no fault of your own in a way. I mean, even somebody like Maria Herrera who is one of two women to ever race in the World Championship alongside Anna Carrasco. They're two riders that have been in the World Championship and since gone elsewhere, Anna Carrasco gone on to win... Uh, the, did she win the World Supersport 300 Championship, I think, in 2019, I think it was. But no doubt rode great, but was gone somewhere else to find success. The same thing with Maria Herrera, who I think on a, on the day is a very good Moto E rider. I know you watch Moto E more than... Josh, Matt, I believe, don't you? Mm-hmm. I think I don't, I don't know. Josh, do you watch a lot of Moto? Mm, no, I'm not. I won't lie. I don't. I don't really watch yeah. it to be honest. Well, I'll just go in more off of like where you see Maria Herrera. Like, I, I know she's finished. I think, I believe she's been. Has she been on the podium at Moto? E? I know she's definitely been up that way. She's been at the right end before. But my point <laughs> being, you do see a lot of good talents come through at Moto. E, so <laughs> it isn't so much like. You know, I've seen some Formula One drivers almost see Formula E as a well. I've done my, I've been past my prime. I'll do a, a year or so in Formula E, but there are young, fast talents coming through Moto E. Even like mm. Lucas Tulovic, who in Moto Two on the day was a great rider. So yeah, uh, besides the race, I just want to put in that I do actually quite like Moto E. I just think it needs time to develop. I think what would make it a bit more interesting, I, I don't know your thoughts on it, you two, but because it only lasts, what, how long does a race last? Six, seven laps, maybe? Less than um, 10, that's for sure. Less than 10. Minutes, yeah. If they had a second bike that they could jump onto, you know. I'll uh, do it bike. Formula E uh, Yeah, like, like, yeah, how the Formula E used to do it, where they had to change change um, chassis or, ch- you know, change vehicle. That'd be quite well, interesting. <laughs> Or they go in on the same bike and then just wait till the back yeah, charge just, and then just go back Just down. wait for an hour. <laughs> just really don't wait. I know uh, Formula E is working on like quick charge technology. So mm. they'll be able to pull the cars in onto basically like you would your phone where you set it on a pad. You pull the car in on a pad, it charges it up and I don't know what the time is yet that they've come out with. But if they could do something with the bikes where... I just don't know how you do it because you kind of have to make contact with the charging pad. So yeah. I don't know. Un- unless they come up with some sort of quick charge where they can just pull it in, click the bike into the charger, charge it up in a minute. Yeah. I mean, the thing but, is, with I mean, that is like the voltage that's going through that. If there was an accident happening, this you've got to be, it's got to be so well yeah. tested with something like that. Obviously, yeah. it will be, but like. People will probably sit there now and with events that have happened last week or sit there and think, well, you know, you ain't got to be in electric motorsport for, you know, 
bad things to happen. But with stuff like that, it's a case of it's avoidable by doing it a different way. Um, like Josh mm-hmm. said, you could have another bike, but that also means teams are going to then have to put twice the funding in, which at the yeah, moment, yeah. double the money. Mo- yeah, Moto E doesn't have the funding really <laughs> as a priority no, sport. Doesn't. Like if if it was being pushed to the top, mm. you know, to the very very top, and there was thousands and thousands of people interested in it, I think you'd probably see I mean, that. The, it's, it's the still only, too early. Yeah, I mean, the only other way I could see is again, it's probably maybe the technology or fees feasible you know in terms of safety wise but if it was like interchangeable batteries or something yeah you know yeah. but i just i don't know how feasible that is because of where the batteries I, need to be placed but yeah i mean i can tell you just from working on certain hybrid vehicles it's really it is a really hard job to do mm. some of those battery packs weigh a couple hundred pounds mm. so <clears throat> you'd be looking three, four people trying to lift that battery out yeah. of the bike. So. Yeah. Which, I mean, in a roundabout way, is not, I don't want to say, like, it's not doable, but, like, you see F1 pit stops, and they're like, this, what is there around an F1 pit stop? There's, like, 20 people, isn't there? There's, like, 15. There's a fair few. There's easily, my point is, there's easily four, isn't there? Like, do you know what I mean? It's not I think it's, like, 10, 10 people, is there? Well, two on each tyre. Yeah. And then an F-jack and an R-jack. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's at least ten. So sixteen. Yeah. Because you have three oh, people like per one. per wheel. You've got the front rear jack man, and then there's two guys on either side where their only oh, job yeah, the jack, is to yeah. hold the car steady yeah. while it's up on the jacks. So mm. you have sixteen people total. Yeah. Yeah. So so with that, my point being that I think four people around a battery might not be. I, I don't know. It's it's like I say, it's still really early, but like it might be an option. Like, they're definitely looking into it, aren't they? That they're, they're not. <laughs> I don't think Dorna and everybody sees Motoe as right. We'll stay on six laps forever in a day and just see yeah. how it goes. Like it's early days, like so. Yeah. yeah. And as the technology advances, the you know things will change. You know, you see Moto E or yeah, Moto E Formula E. Yeah, you know, from where they started. You know eight seasons ago to where they are now and where they're talking to be in the next couple of years. Hopefully the bike, it, you know, technology improves with the car stuff, but yeah, I mean, yeah. on that point, I don't want to talk too much formula E cause I know we're a GP podcast, but like even looking at somebody like Honda who have taken themselves out of the Red Bull situation because of their future, like carbon footprint side of things, you might see mm-hmm. it might take somebody like that, the size of a manufacturer like Honda as well, to get involved, and other manufacturers that size, to get involved with these electric projects in order for the funding to go in, in order for you know more sustainability and further development of the classes. So it might take that in GP. It might take you know Ducati being linked to the whole Volkswagen thing. You might see a lot of funding go into it with Ducati. I don't know. It's a possibility, mm-hmm. but. It's still early days, but it would be good to see Motoe advance, which it, I'm sure it will. So, yeah. Yeah. So, moving on to Moto3. Uh, again, another insane race. Whenever I first got into MotoGP, my, like, the way I ranked them was GP, Moto2, Moto3. Or no, it was Moto E, GP, 2, and then 3. And number, th- like, MotoGP, yeah, god damn it, I can't talk. <laughs> Moto3 is quickly moving up the list here. Because these races are insane. 
Yeah. How like someone can go from 15th place coming out of the last turn to the lead down the straightaway? Yeah. Like all the sh- and yeah, you know, we saw. So the podium was Sergio Garcia, Jeremy Alcoba, and Dennis Onshoot with a wild one. Track limits, yeah, rears its ugly head again. Uh, but you saw Alcoba towards the end. He was he would lead throughout the lap, and then at the end of the lap, you you come around like the last two corners, and he's looking back like, "Who can I let in front of me?" Because everyone behind me is going to get a giant toe off of me. You know, there, there's just so much strategy that goes into Moto Three. The more you like, the closer you look at it. Yeah, I mean that that front pack is just crazy. Every race, you know, that front pack of ten plus riders, we and any one of those could could win it. It is honestly crazy to see. Yeah, I mean, it depends what you watch MotoGP and the other classes for. If you watch it for pure chaos, increasing heart rate, and probably a trip to the doctor for your blood pressure, then you'd watch Moto Three. <laughs> If you watch it for pure strategy, tires and everything else with like maybe difference of fear and difference of setup, Moto2 is very overlooked in that sense. Mm. And GP is a great combination of everything put together and obviously it's the peak. But Moto3 was just one of them, wasn't it? It was like, like you say, it was, no, no, you. No, you lead. No, no, actually you lead. Like nobody wanted to lead at all. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not like Qatar where it's a longer straight, but Qatar's like, you can overtake around so many different parts of the track without losing a lot of time. Whereas Barcelona, if you're maybe going into turn four or five, where you've got to make a fair lunge, with Moto3, you're going to have three people dive underneath you after the next, you know, mm-hmm. while you're diving under the person in front. So <clears throat> it can almost bite you back by overtaking in a way. Um, but at the same time, Moto3, there's no real sense in it anyway. So it's kind of every man for himself. But I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not going to talk too much before we get onto it, but I think you probably both know who I'm picking as my rider of the day before even. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, watching these bikes come down that straightaway, I, I wanted to try to pause it. I, for, I think it was like the last couple laps. At one point, they were probably eight bikes wide going down the straightaway because they would all be in a line coming down and as soon as you got downhill they'd all just spread out to see who could make it into the lead going into turn one and they were like the whole track wide was just full of bikes side by side like god and to think these are kids these are kids and they have just the gall to try some of these moves i forget who it was uh, going into turn one, uh, tried tried to move in front of everybody and almost clipped the front t- or, yeah the front tire of another. Oh bike. yeah, yeah, that was that was scary. That that was literally mm-hmm. like millimeters away from from being quite a big accident. Yeah. But some moves like that in Moto Three, it's like you can be millimeters away from absolute chaos. But mil- same same breath, you could be absolute millimeters from the best move that could set you up for the rest of the yeah. lap. Mm. putting you in a good mm-hmm. place where you're not going to get slipstream by the end of the lap and then it you know it's, 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 it's one a of fine line isn't it yeah it's a very very fine line well there, there is no line in motor three <laughs> but, um on the track limits thing i've got to say 
I think this is the out of the the few that we've had in the last few weeks. I'd agree in saying that there was an advantage gained because he used it as runoff and he just carried on <laughs> doing what he did with Messia. Um, yeah, not a massive advantage, but an advantage like yeah. you know, a significant enough to be like he was just yeah. using that side of the track to be almost anyone can overtake me, but I'm still going full blast and you're off the track. So I kind of you know I I don't see any. I don't see any bad sense in any of that. But yeah, I was just so, so happy when Onchu got P3 just because (laughs) he's another one of those riders that I've kind of sat there and been like, no, 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 trust me, Matt. I know he's took out like four guys at a ref, but trust me, he'll come good. And, you know, it's nice to see, especially when, you know, when you see these riders come through, like you say, they are are kids at the end of the day. These these guys Mm -hmm. are 16, 17, 18, some of them. And for some of them to get their first podium, it almost... Not only is it what they've worked for, but in a way that that result could keep you in the paddock for another year. You know, it might get you a contract, it might get you a an upgrade, or it might get you salary wise. It might, you know, you might get a bonus or whatever. But it's worth so much more than just a result on the podiums. You know what I mean? So it's always nice to see someone get on the podium for the first time. He was in tears, wasn't he? he was in tears in part. Yeah. Yeah. Bless him. Yeah. And. Like you could just see the emotion, like to and like you said with the with Masia going off, like when the bikes are that close, you know it's one thing when like you can see they're like uh, with Oliveira and Mir last last week, like there was clearly like it wasn't like Miguel got you know three bike lengths or something because he ran off or was able to pin the throttle sooner. <laughs> But with this incident, it was like, well, if he has to let off the throttle to stay off the green, there's three riders blowing past him as soon as he lets off that throttle. So, yeah, yeah, I definitely feel this one, you know, was warranted. This, you know, this demotion was warranted. I think Mm -hmm. as well, like what we mentioned last week, and the key point being, Oliveira Mir didn't know they were on the green. And it's still hard mm-hmm. to know when you're on and when you're off, like when it gets to a fine line. But Messiah must have known he was on the green at that point. Like he must have, he must have felt himself run off the curbs and not be anywhere near. When he looks down to the right and sees the whole tarmac and looks with left and sees full green, like you must know there's a good chance you're on the green. Do you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, well, it's one of them. Like I think he would have known. Yeah, because with the, I mean. With the curbing, like you don't, when you run onto it, they, you bump as you go across it. So if you're like bumping along, all of a sudden it gets smooth, and then you come back onto the bumpy part, you know, like, oh, I went off somewhere. Like something wasn't right there. You know, where, you know, like last week with uh, Oliver and Mir, it's you're coming off the bumpy stuff, and it, like the way that went back onto the track, went straight back onto the track. So you're, you're thinking like, Okay, I've come off the curbs. I'm back on the track. You don't know that there's like this little patch of green you might have hit. Where I feel this was a different situation. Yeah, I think it's um, the dreaded time of the week, Josh. I think uh, we need to talk about it. Let's just get it out of the way. And you know, yeah, of course. <laughs> so, guys, it's welcome inevitable. to the weekly occurrence of the John McPhee segment. <laughs> yeah, very upsetting. <laughs> very, very upsetting. <laughs> Oh, when yeah. I when I watched it, I watched this late last night before I went to bed. 
and I'm just watching it, and I had seen Josh's message earlier in the day about <laughs> yeah. McPhee, and I'm like, he's in the lead. What happens? Yeah, yeah, literally. Like, I, I know when Josh put it in the chat, I was like, anyone that reads that, or like, if, if you know, if you were watching it late, would go and look at it and be like, he's in the lead, and that's the message. Yeah. What on he... earth has gone wrong? And I, I remember just seeing it and being like, yeah. Yeah, I know. it's just it's just too good to be true, isn't it? With John, I mean, leading the race, he was in a good rhythm, yeah, comfortably. Obviously, it's Moto Three, so I don't think he would have hung on to the lead, but he would have been in the pack still. But, he would have still yeah. been in for a shout, and they just and it was just a high side out of nowhere. <laughs> you just don't really see it in Moto Three a lot, though, do you? High sides like that. No, it, it was just one of them that I, I genuinely thought watching it. Before he crashed, I thought if anyone's going to have the pace to kind of spread them out or not do the whole let's slow down and let everybody, he looked he looked mega quick before mm. it, like and just one of them, wasn't it? Where I just as soon as he went down, I was just like, how many times do I have to keep sitting there and go, okay, one more, John, and that's it. Like you can't keep going. And I, here I am again the week after going, John, oh. we're, we're about five crashes in now. Like just just <laughs> stop, like. When is the season going to start? Do you know what I mean? His, his Moto Two audition is not going well. I, if, like John, I'll tell you what, John, this isn't funny down, anymore. Yeah, the, the the joke's long gone, John. Like, <laughs> and obviously, I know some of it's not been well. The majority of it's not really been his his fault with like what's happened, but it almost gives me and I don't want to I don't want to you know jump straight to the uh, the the worst name that Josh could imagine, but. It gives me Rin's vibes mm-hmm. in the way of once he's got like two or three crashes, it's like the confidence is I've got to push more and then crashes because he's thinking he's got to, you know, push even more and he's not just thinking result. But like you say, I mean, a high side like that, I just, if John gets to Moto 2 next year, then I, I think his manager deserves a ride on the bike just to like <laughs> thank him for getting him there because. Like Josh says, his audition for it ain't going too well. Well, whoever he, he, you know, whoever he's auditioning for, if he just shows him a tape of the first few laps of each race before he crashes <laughs> out, he might, he might get a seat. <laughs> yeah, like watch the first five laps of every race. I'm amazing, honestly. Like <laughs> I'm one of the best there is. Like to be fair, like we joke, but. Like, and it's not biased. John is genuinely one of the best riders there. He he shows it on mm-hmm. pure pace. Like, I think Dennis Onchu put a tweet out at the start of the the weekend and said, "What are the chances of us all going like on a on our own and seeing who's actually the quickest without needing a tow?" And I thought, well, if you did that, the first thought was John would be John Binder and Acosta and Messia, those kind of riders, like the four we mentioned last week. They're the four that you would expect to be in like the top five, top six. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's obvious on paper, mm-hmm. but it's actually getting the results that's just been John's absolute nightmare. He's done yeah. everything right pretty much going into most weekends and then it gets to Sunday and it just absolutely falls to bits. But yeah, it's honestly, I, I don't even know what to say anymore. I, I think if I don't laugh, I'll cry. So Yeah, it's, it's sad. I mean, we had a fair few DNFs this race. Um Mm-hmm. You know, including people like Mino went out. Obviously, Suzuki who seems to like going out every race or so. Um, Fernandez, yeah, Fernandez had Artigas, Foggia, 
Sasaki lost all these. But interestingly enough, what I wanted to touch on was the red flag at the end of the race. Now, I can't remember when did that come out exactly. That came out literally as it was almost as if the front pack. So if you look at the race results um, for the Moto3 guys, it will say up until 11th with Fanati, it will say three and a half seconds. Mm -hmm. Everybody past that is one lap. So after Fanari crossed the, red, yep. uh, crossed the finish line, the red flag came out, meaning that it yeah. would have just gone on your previous lap result. Mm. So most people would look at that without watching the race and think that everybody from Yuki Kuni down to um, Matsuyama would be uh, lapped, but they haven't. They've just been red flagged based on the previous lap. So obviously how yeah. it works is, you know, once the red flag's out, you go off the previous lap. Mm. So um, do you know what happened as well, by the way? It was the, the think... Sasaki... High so side, the yeah, Artigas and Foggia. The uh, both Leopard racing bikes crashed. I don't know who they took with them. I'm guessing, yeah, it, it would have been, yeah, I'm guessing it would have been, um, I think it was Sasaki and High sided, and then both the Leopard bikes hit that bike because it wasn't shown on TV. So, like, I'm pretty sure it was that yeah. reported, it, like. It was shown afterwards on was it? the video pass. It was basically they. I think they were coming up the uphill section. Yeah, they were. So one of the bikes went down, and then both of them ran into them, and they all went flying off the track, right uh, the corner before the. I know this is F one talk. The second DRS straight. Yeah, yeah, it was coming out of turn seven, wasn't it? Where they go left okay. and then that little kink right, and then before the yeah, before yeah, the, and then you go up the hill and then it's a hard right yeah. down that second straightaway. But they, it, like you could watch on the replay, they showed the like main pack coming down that straightaway, and there's just a herd of bikes going off the track in the background. Yeah, um, yeah, because it's got Guevara as well crashing out on lap twenty. Mm -hmm. I don't yeah. know. He crashed out. If you remember watching it, he would crashed out, and he was he was literally going for like P one, P two behind Garcia, his teammate, and then coming into that new turn ten, his front end just washed out completely. Oh so, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. But uh, good for him really, because he's looked. He's another one that's coming good. Another mm. rookie that's another one that I rate very very highly. Like Guevara is definitely up there with some of the best riders. So it it was like so gutting to see because, like we were saying. It was almost like a waiting game with Moto Three this weekend, where you were just waiting for someone to go, someone to go, and then the last lap was just chaos. It was just absolute mm -hmm. chaos. So, yeah, got in for Guevara, but rider of the day. Do you want to move on to that? Yeah, um, um, yeah, I'll I'm, go I'm, first. I'm I think I know your, who's your. I know who your should be, Matt. Um, after giving him rider of the day in Heref. <laughs> I've already taken uh, it. Mine's on you. Uh, I'll on I'll leave that one for Bono because we all know who Bono's going to take. I'm going to take Pedro Costa. Now, hear me out. <laughs> he did finish seventh, but he started really far back. Yeah, he, he, he didn't have a good qualifying. He, did he was he? in what the twenties. It's See another one of those it. things, though, isn't it? We're, we've mentioned it a couple of times, and I, I know I have that. Now everyone says. P7 Acosta, like you've got to justify why a six just turned mm -hmm. just turned 17 year old kid finishing yeah. P7 in a Grand Prix is a bad result. Do you know what I mean? If he's not winning, people are like, How is that a good result? Like, you know, but 
the guy every race is just picking up points picking up points picking up points and it's he's got himself in that position what we were saying uh josh in that he can afford to yeah. have a bit of like a mid-pack kind of result and it'd be a good result so and i can get behind it to come from as far back as he started he led the race at certain points mm, he did like he he was up there fighting for the lead and he he just had the lead at the wrong time because this was one of those races you don't want to have the lead with like three laps to go because that means you're going to get shuffled towards the back mm. and you don't know if you're going to make it up you know later on so yeah i'm gonna go i'm gonna go acosta i mean you say p7 but he's nearly just short of four tenths off the win so. 0.380 like yeah yeah. Yeah. Who so, you, who are you picking, Josh? Josh, we'll let you guess because um, we is picking. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we tend to not do it, but I'll just give it to Garcia. I mean, he started nineteenth, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, fair play. Yeah. You know, to come from nineteenth to win the race again, a lot of pack shuffling involved that obviously helps you. You get a bit of potluck, I guess. But yeah, a solid effort. To come through the pack from nineteenth to win it, especially the you know the talent that is on show in in Moto Three, to start from that far on the back, obviously with a few DNFs from others to help him out, yeah, cracking result for Garcia, and that puts him solidly second in the championship, I think now. So yeah, he's he's actually he's having a really really good year. A lot mm. of people aren't even mentioning Garcia, and to be fair, when he went out of Q one, I remember sitting there watching it. I was amazed that he he got nudged out of Q one, but. Yeah, coming from that far back to win the race is insane. But yeah, obviously, mine's Dennis Onchu just because I just got a soft spot for him. I love I love Dennis and Chan Onchu. I just think they're great. Watched them for years, and it's just so good to see. I think I think to be honest with you, just the story when people get the first podium, it's just so good. So I'll, I'll go with Onchu for for my rider of the day. Yeah. So I've. With that, we'll move on to Moto2, uh, or as I'm going to now start calling it, the Aki Ayo series, because uh, it's Aki Ayo's league, and we're all just living in it. Uh, <laughs> it really is. True. First and second, first place, Remy Gardner. Third, second place, Raul Fernandez. And then third place, Javi Vere. Like, as, you know, as a Red Bull KTM fan, I love it. <laughs> Oh yeah, you're quite slow down at the moment for you. I mean, Remy didn't dominate the race because Raul got ahead of him for a little while there. But this was one of those races that Remy was like, I'm going to start out and I'm going to dominate. It's like, oh, Raul's got a little bit of pace. All right, I'll follow behind him, you know, play with him. And then made it pass and put, you know, 1.8 seconds on him. Yeah, Brett, Mm. just outstanding, wasn't it, from Remy? Like, Magello was great because it was so close, but it was just a replica of Magello in a way of set the pace. Raul said, yeah, I can do that pace. And then Remy basically said, okay, well, I've still got an ace up my sleeve. Saved it for four or five laps, didn't he? And then the last five laps just absolutely knocked it out of the park. So, um, Yeah, I'm, I'm loving the battles between these two at the moment. And I'm kind of, <laughs> obviously, I want a, a third or fourth person involved in the championship fight, but you know, I just I'm excited to see more battles between these two further down the line because fair enough, it's you know the Akiyo show, as Matt said, but it's an exciting one at that. So mm-hmm. 
Yeah, especially when you've got somebody like Gardner who's so experienced in this class compared to the guy that he's fighting, which, again, credit to, to Fernandez that this kid is a rookie. in You don't see mm-hmm. any rookie do this in Moto2 other than like your Mark Marquez's and people like that. And when you're being put in that category of rider, which let's not, you know, let's not take the mic, like Fernandez is in that caliber of rider for Moto2 rookies. I can't name another Moto2 rookie I can think of that's that good. I remember seeing no. Rins and Vinales, and they were both, Vinales slightly better, but both really, really good Moto2 riders when they first came up. Vinales, I think, won at, I think he won at Cota, actually, really early on in his Moto2 career. But anyway, like in just really good Moto2 riders that you can see potential in. And the fact that, it, I know it's kind of, he does, there's no seat for him, but Fernandez is being put on this um this tech three bike that's supposedly, you know, it's not it's not happened yet, but people are putting him forward for that seat. Rins and Vinales both got Suzuki seats and they've not done anything near as good as like what Fernandez yeah. is doing now. It just makes me think that is there any factory team that's now sitting there thinking, do we re-sign one of our guys or do we go full in with Fernandez? Do we do we fire everything at it? But yeah, to try and grab he, him. Yeah, because it, there's only, I mean, thinking about who there is, there's there's people like Yamaha who have got their riders secure. You've got Peko, who's not secure on a Ducati yet, but obviously very highly rated within Ducati. But mm. it's like Yamaha wouldn't be able to sign him, I don't think, unless he was willing to drop the Red Bull sponsor because of the monster clash and stuff like that. The whole driver market's a bit insane. But my point being, it is... Ralph Fernandez, like, I think I don't want to like give him too, you know, kind of put him on a pedestal too high, but I think he deserves better than a Tech Three seat if he goes to GP, just for how good he's doing as a rookie. I think he does. Um, well, I think personally that this is Ross's last year on the Yamaha. Um, possibly, yeah. And if that's the case, there will there will be a seat opening up now. Will they try and go for Fernandez then? Put him on the Patronus next to uh, Morbidelli, or is that reserved for someone else? If if slash when Rossi, you know, leaves for, to either retire fully or move to his own team for a year or two riding. Yeah, well, the the three names in the hat at the minute for the Patronus seat that are basically going with if Rossi doesn't carry on. Let's just say. The three names that are in the hat are Canet, Roberts, and Dixon. They're the three names that are the most likely at the minute. And that's mm. not just like general popularity of vote. That's that is legit like, you know, people that are making moves towards that seat. So maybe I know they've got a monster sponsor, haven't they? Patronus. So it again, it's like a lot of these Red Bull riders stick with Red Bull and it's kind of You've you've got to put something in front of them to get them to switch. So it'd be interesting to see. It's like Suzuki. They're now a Monster Energy sponsored team. So any Red Bull athlete would have to drop their whole Red Bull sponsor, which they get paid a lot to do, in order mm-hmm. to switch over to Monster. So it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. But whether they do it or not, I don't know. But I just feel like people sleep on Fernandez so much as a rookie. They just expect him now. A bit like the Acosta thing. They just expect him to be up there, but he does it every week. Like, Fernandez is doing it every single week. 
it's insane. For me, it's absolutely insane. I think he should be given a, a full factory. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, we know that either Lacuna or Petrucci are out at the moment, and it seems to me like the way forward for Red Bull KTM is to get Fernandez on that other seat. Unfortunately for both Petrucci and Lacuna, that would mean them to, you know, being replaced, but I mean, you'd, you'd have to be silly to let Fernandez go. You, you really would. Considering they've already signed so, Gardner, like, yeah. if I'm Ralph Fernandez right now, I'm thinking, you've got to put something serious in front of me, because if not, and somebody big does come calling, which mm. I can't think who who could, but, you know, there's I mean... Not really, yeah, there's not, enough, there's not enough seats. That's what I'm saying, there's not enough seats, but who's to say that maybe... I mean, it's it's a very very bold chat, but I've I've seen weirder things happen. Like, what if Honda turn around and say, you know, we'll move Paul Spargo out of a seat, you know, and say, you know, we gave it to Marquez as a as a Moto Two World Champion when he came up. This is a rookie that we mm. could easily see be champion. They might think we've got to move heaven and earth for him because, again, like you say, if yeah, KTM possibly, who, I will. Who, who will? Yeah, it's I mean, tough because uh, what about Nakagami? How safe is his seat? Obviously, he is Japan being Japanese yeah. and on a Japanese bike. I would say um, Nakagami is a lot safer than Alex Marquez. Yeah, I reckon so. Because um, of the whole Japanese link, the sponsors, like everything linked with that, and results. I yeah, mean, they've, they've tested today, and Nakagami's P three, which I know it's tested, yeah results based. You know, but then Alex Marquez, he's got that. I guess his second name does carry a lot of weight. So, I mean, he is—he is a two-time world champion, Alex. But, and I'm not discrediting him. But at the same time, if he didn't have Marquez as his name, and he's had the results he's had this Mm. year, being honest, do we see him having a secure future? Probably not. But because of the name, and let's be real, if if Honda get rid of Alex Marquez. Is Mark Marquez just going to get on with life and be happy as Larry and not do anything about it? Mm. Of course he's not, you know. And then that starts a whole other argument and people going, Marquez is going to leave Honda. Oh my yeah, God. it's interesting. Marquez, but who knows? But at the same time, I think Ralph Fernandez deserves a lot more than what he's getting. But if we're just talking uh, results-wise so far for Ralph Fernandez, let me just get this up. So we've got... What's his results been like this year? So we've had a fifth, a third, a first, a fifth, a first, second, second. That's insane. Yeah, like, I mean, I was going to say he hasn't been out of the top five. I mean, as as the championship standing shows, he is the second most consistent rider on the grid mm-hmm. after again, Gardner. Yeah, the guy um, in front of him is the guy that's been racing in this class for a few years now. Exactly. Yep. He's um. Yeah, he's something special. So I, I will be very surprised if he's in Moto Two next season. Very surprised. Uh, it's, it's another thing. I as mean, well. there. Oh, go on, Matt. Well, there has been talks that you know people in the paddock have been asking him. You know, do you plan to move to Moto GP? And he's he said, I would like to do another year in Moto Two before I move up to MotoGP, you know, he doesn't want to do the one year and out. He wants to, you know, stay here. If he doesn't win a championship this season, maybe win a championship next season. 
Yeah. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Maybe yeah, he's. Interesting. I guess he's. If that's the case, he's probably happy to gain more experience. But I think also, by the sounds of it, he's happy to think, right, is there anything other than a Tech 3? I that's can exactly ride? what I was going to say before yeah. me and Matt spoke, is that I I do think there's probably somebody, maybe his manager or somebody else going, look, Raul, your stock value is through the roof. Mm. Leave it a year. Something We know that, like, you go into some years and you think there's everybody's contract secure, nothing will happen. Something always ends up happening, whether it's yeah. like <laughs> for example, with and I don't know if you remember this, but the the Carol Abraham thing where he was in he was he had a motor GPC, it was secure. Zarco got booted out of KTM, then it was KTM's a free agent, and then Ducati went, We want Zarco. They moved Carol Abraham out of his seat and gave it Zarco out of a contract, paid him out of his contract just to get Zarco in the factory. And it, it it's not unheard of. Do you know what I mean? Something like that can happen. So, mm-hmm. who's to say in a year's time, there might be a Ducati seat coming free. There might be a Pramac seat. There might be a, a Patronus seat. There might be literally anything like that where Ralph Fernandez's manager might be saying, give it a year, and you might find yourself in a better seat. But at the same time, it might be in a year's time where the only seats available is a Tech 3 still. And KTM aren't going to say, well, if you were looking for another seat, go there. Because they can't afford to lose him. They mm. can't. Like Josh said, they, they can't afford to lose such a rider like Ralph Fernandez. He is, in my opinion, the highest stock value rider in Moto2. Yeah. Because he's got the, he's got the age on uh, Gardner. He's got the experience of Moto3 and Moto2 now at winning races he's won races in both categories and he's fighting for a championship in a debut year like you don't see that in a lot of like racing series anyway so if you're challenging for a, a, a title in your first year you're special you look at people like george russell in f2 charlotte clerk in yeah. f2 people like that you know these are these are real top top drivers same applies in this so maybe he's looking for another year for that reason people keep thinking it's like you know he doesn't want to jump gun too quick but I agree, Josh. I think there is a part of him that is mm. like, you know, let's see what's available in a year's time. But yeah, I mean, thoughts on Sam Lowe's quickly? Better than a crash, but yeah, uh, I mean, I, for me of... personally, I think that's sorry, Matt. No good. Uh, yeah, I think probably I'm happy with that result. I think we've seen the last couple now. He's pushed his luck. He's been chasing, you know. Um, you know, he's been chasing his mistakes to try and get back into a you know championship contention, to get back into race win positions, and he's binned it from it. So I think a seventh, although it's you know a little bit disappointing, how he's not fighting for the podium or anything, but I'm I you know like I said, it's better than a DNF. So I'm happy with that. I'm happy with the seventh, and hopefully he can build on that. Yeah, yeah I mean. Totally agree. You know, at least, like you said, at least he didn't crash. You know, he didn't try to force the bike more than what it could give him. Um, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much the best. Because you look at some of the names above him and how, you know, he was close. You know, he was only like three-tenths of a second back behind Bobed Snyder. You know, could he have caught him? Maybe. You know, but... Yeah, I mean, seventh place, that's not that bad. Yeah. 
and then on the flip side, uh, I guess like Joe Roberts, well, not a flip side, but you know, Joe Roberts in, in 10th place, quite a good result for him, considering yeah. his, his form. And it, it's the same thing. You know, he didn't try to throw the bike down. He didn't try to, you know, push it further than he could. I mean, he was 19 seconds back. So, you know, this clearly was not a track for him. You know, he, looking at the times here, he was able to stay ahead of Navarre by at least, by almost a second. But then Chantra was you know, uh, two seconds ahead of him. So he was pretty much in this, like, w- you, you're not going to finish any higher. You, you're you still better than the guy behind you by a few seconds. So settle in, because this is about the best you're doing around this track. He's mm. a very good dark horse as well, Sam Kiat Chantry. He's, he's, he's kind of, like, just ever so quietly been chipping away at some decent results this year, even if it's been in, like, in the practice sessions or qualifying. He's, he's one of those that you might just see as any other rider, but is actually on quite an uncompetitive bike i'd say the the honda team asia motor 2 bikes not the best calyx probably if i if i'm being honest probably one of the worst calyxes on the grid and i mean p9 is a good result on that kind of bike so you know that might be a sharper ride of the day so if you want to move on to that it's not not gonna be my pick but he'd definitely be up there well Mm. two real quick notes uh we have jake dixon in 18th and cameron bobby in 19th we can move on from that but quickly quickly uh, (laughs) yes uh rider of the day uh crap uh i'm gonna you want me to do mine first while you think about it yeah go ahead because i'm looking at two names here okay hopefully you guys don't take them (laughs) let's try and take both of them then josh yes Um, yes my rider of the day is bo ben schneider um, <laughs> <laughs> I, knew that, I knew that damn it was coming. I just knew it. Um, no, I've not just picked him just because I think he's Matt's pick, but I actually picked him just because he's one of those that has took a long time to find his kind of groove in Moto3 because he was so like tall for Moto3. He looked like a giant on a Moto3 bike, which he was. The guy's like a typical Dutchman. He's like 6'3", something like that. He's huge. So... Um, when he moved to Moto2 on a very uncompetitive NTS machine, it was it was almost like one of them that you thought like, it's, it's never gonna you know, it's never gonna work for him. But he's actually took quite well to the because uh, he's on a Calyx now, isn't he? He's on he's on the the it's like the is it the old SAG team? I think it is, isn't it? It's the same team as Tom Lee. Yeah, it is. Yep. So it, it's good to see somebody like Ben Schneider who had a lot of talent. He won the Red Bull Rookies Cup in I think it was 2014 or something like that. Since then, his name's kind of been knocking about, and he's not really done anything with it. So, I'm I'm kind of happy to see someone like that get a bit of a break. And who knows, he might. I think he I think he's on for a podium this year. Oh, that's going to be my uh, yeah. my prediction. I think he'll have a podium, maybe at Assen, hopefully. But yeah, yeah. that's my pick. Josh, on, Josh, pick his other one, please. Pick uh, I'm going to go with Bezeki. I don't think that'll be his another one. Nah, I didn't hear nope. a damn it. So I'll change I'll change cool. my uh, ride of the day, I think. Um no, nah, I'm joking. Um <laughs> Nah, Bezeki, right my ride of the day, you know, not not his best race, but he started in tenth. He's finished fourth. He's again, he's probably kicking himself for not managing a podium and, and keeping, you know, trying to keep that gap to the the top two as as you know narrow as possible, but I think a fourth place is still a solid result. He's still he's still trying to keep get that consistency in. 
that you need to win a championship. And yeah, he he did a solid job from tenth to fourth today. Um, you can't really grumble, and, can you? From tenth no. to fourth, and, I think if you yeah. said for the race, fourth place, I think it'd have took it, wouldn't he? It's quite a, quite a bit, quite a recovery ride from him, really. Because if mm. if you know if he if he'd have finished tenth and Gardner and Fernandez finished where they did, which was pretty much a given, um, you know, the, his kind of this three horse race probably would be turning into a two-horse race. And I, 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 although a, a lot of people will probably say it is a two-horse race, I still, I'm still going with it being a three-horse race. I don't, I think Sam Lowe's has probably thrown it away now. I, I can't see Sam Lowe's getting back into it, but I still think Bezeki's in there. He's in, he's in touch. I think for it to be any more than a three-horse race, you need to see some inconsistency from these front two. Yeah, I think the only reason it's a three-horse race at the minute is because Bezeki, even though he's not winning races, he's constantly in the top five. So you yeah, can West, kind of give him, yeah. you know, some slack there yeah. and say, "Look, worst result." One, yeah, one bad result for um, for one of the, the KTM guys, you might see Bezeki just slip right behind them, or maybe in front of. Them. I don't, I don't think he can finish in front of them, but you know, it'll, it'll be it'll be back to a definite three-horse race. But for for Lowe's, for me, to be in the question, we would have to see a couple of DNFs, even if Sam doesn't get any points from those same races, just so you can physically see that mm. the KTM guys aren't robots, but at the minute, they literally are, so they it's are. kind of I think, hard to get away from that. Yeah, for, for Bezeki and you know and Lowe's, more importantly, Gardner and Fernandez are going to have to have a little, a little clash on track, which, you know, is possible, considering... You know, for the most part, and for the foreseeable, together, they're going to be glued together on the track every race in, race out. And there is chance that they could maybe collide or have a little tangle. You know, they could go off the track. Uh, who knows? And that's what Pizeki and, more importantly, Lowe's needs, as well as them two being up there as well, just, you know, in the background, ready to pounce on some, uh, that kind of mistake. Um, but for all intents and purposes, it's a three-horse race. If if that, I mean, many would probably say it's a two-horse race now, but I'd agree. We'll yeah. See, is Matt's rider of the day Xavi Vierge? No, it's Augusto Fernandez. Oh. <laughs> and the reason I'm taking Fernandez is to the most important thing in racing is to beat your teammate, and uh, he did that by. I see. I see what you're doing here. By at least a second. You know, he, mind you, he hasn't had a few, quite a few opportunities to do that with, you know, Sam going down. But, I mean, he, he's one of those names where he's either, you've heard about him up towards the top, or it seems like he's crashed. I mean, you know, he, he fought for, like, the, the world title in 2019, Augusto Fernandez. And don't get me wrong, I'm not. Again, I'm not trying to discredit him, but he's one of them. That he's seriously, seriously quick on the given on the right day. He is very, mm-hmm. very quick. a bit like Jake Dixon in the given the right day, the right time. You know, with Motor Two at the minute, he is insanely quick. I mean, he's a race winner. I mean, the Mizano one was a bit questionable. I remember being there, and it was very, very questionable. But um, I can see why you've picked him, uh, just to annoy me mm-hmm. and Josh. Um, but, <laughs> but you know. At least our guy's teammate is at least competitive. So you can't really say the same for um, can't really say the same for 
Cameron or Joe. So, you know, at least our guys are competitive in that sense. If you want to go there, Matt, we can go there every week if you like. I mean, I'm sitting here in a Red Bull KTM shirt and yeah. hat. There's, no, there's, a, there's a reason you're not wearing an American my, flag or anything like that. My guys are sitting in the top two. So if we want to talk. <laughs> yeah, I suppose but, you could say that, but yeah. So I think that's it for Moto2. Moving on to MotoGP, the reason why we're all here. Oh boy, this race. Uh, there, so starting grid, 21st Salvadori, 20th Marquez, 19th Marini, 18th Petrucci, 17th Bastianini, 16th Lycawona, 15th Martin, 14th oh, Nakagami, 13th Mark Marquez, 12th Polis Bargaro, 11th Valentino Rossi, 10th Juan Mir, 9th Benyaya, 8th Bender, 7th Aspar- Alacious Bargaro, 6th Vinales, 5th Morbidelli, 4th Oliveira, 3rd Zarco, 2nd Miller, and Quattrar. And I went through that because this actually seemed like like a legit grid. Like, there wasn't the, sh- like, the stuff where it's like, Oh, Valentino's in 19th for some reason. Yeah. Like, you look at the names, you're like, this is pretty much where everybody would be. I get what you're trying to say, yeah. You, uh, what you mean is, is like, what when you when you think of the rider, you think he would qualify in set place, and it is yeah, roughly what like, he is. The only two real names would be the Marquez brothers, because, you know, Mark's starting at 13, but he's injured. He's recovering, so you can't expect a lot. And then Alex in 20th, you would think he'd be a little higher than that. But other than that, I guess it's where everybody, like, you look at him, you're like, if you saw this as a finishing order, you'd be like, yeah, that's a a typical race. Yeah. Mm. I think, to be fair as well, just on qualifying, it's, it's almost being overlooked as well how normal it's becoming that, Alicia Spargo qualified three and a half tenths behind Fabio, which blows my mind. When you think back, like when Aprilia came back, they were. They were like. Three seconds. Second and come on. Higher than that, it was a good one. And you see Alicia Spargo now riding the absolute wheels off of it. And it's... Mm-hmm. it's three. If anyone gets near him, it will be a good result. And just, just speed-wise, take setting, even on like that hard tyre in FB4, It was as though he was in a to a Yamaha. Ran Catalonia is a is a, to say he's a very much a screen biter, isn't he? Alish, he's very much like one lap. He will just. 
go for. I think that both of the Aspargo brothers are like that, like hell for leather for one lap. They're amazing. Not good race riders as well, but like for that, they are amazing. Um, but like you say, it's just, it's just, I mean, it's just crazy to me to think that like, obviously for you, Matt, you being fairly new compared to watching them when they first came in, you kind of expect a to be up and about around there, but it just makes me think now, imagine if Dovey was on it today. Like, mm. oh, <laughs> Like, I'm not saying Dovi would do better than a leash because the bike is made more for a leash. I know I say that every week, but it's one of them that imagine having two competitive Aprilia riders. It would make that bike look like a like a very very competitive bike, which is scary <laughs> considering they're the least funded team, factory team. They're the smallest factory team, I think. I think you'd put them up there, them and Suzuki definitely. Um. And you know they don't get a lot of credit, do they? Really, Aprilia for like for what? Well, for what Alasia's doing? Because if Alasia doesn't do well on it, they're still they're at the back of the grid with Savadori. So yeah, um, moving on from qualifying anyway. If you want to get into the race, yeah. So top three we have Miguel Oliveira, Johan Zarco, and Jack Miller. And I think the re- the big thing we all have to talk about is Fabio trying to be like his namesake, you know, the other f- famous Fabio, and ride around without his goddamn leather zipped up. Yeah. Just kind of that... show off his abs, I think. Yeah. That was interesting. I think, yeah, we'll touch on the Fabio situation first, I guess, because I know, obviously, you need to vent your f- frustration yeah, we'll let about Bono a certain incident, Bono, so we'll let you, we'll let you get that out off your chest i think let me add it let me add it <laughs> okay so d- did anyone hear what actually happened as to why he had to d- do that no he still yeah he's i've got an article fault. yeah there's an article which basically says he still has no idea what happened or how it happened but um, with the opening with the chest protector i i think it was a case of like the egg getting underneath it was just irritating him, so he took that out. Obviously, you've got leathers open at running at two hundred mile an hour. You, you're gonna, you're gonna have some fair air blowing down your down your leathers, like. So I think that's why he took that out. But why they were open, he doesn't. He's he's claimed to not know. So, mm. um, but yeah, before I mean, I say before that, it was kind of during the same incident. His leathers were already open at that point, but when he tried to bite back at Zarco into turn one. And he runs wide. And he loses time by running wide and gets penalized for running wide. Yeah. That is why I am getting sick to death of the likes. And I'm not putting it all on Freddie Spencer. Don't get me wrong. But in what world, like 10 years ago, when racing was not too involved with the stewards after it, after the race, would you run wide and get penalized for it, even though you've already lost time? In in any world that doesn't make any sense to me at all. Like if he'd have ran over turn one and just gone full pin and gone and overtaken Zarko, I'd be saying fair enough, absolutely fair enough. But he's tried to get back at Zarko, nearly lost the front, sat up, lost probably what six tenths to Zarko, something like that. Definitely lost time. He didn't gain anything. That's a fact. Mm-hmm. And they penalised yeah. him. What did he penalise? Three seconds. Three, Three second seconds. penalty. Three I think he... seconds. Like. He'd lost seven tenths. And the issue I'm having is, like Quartararo said in one of the interviews, he he had to lose a second, apparently, yeah, yeah. for doing that manoeuvre. 
how on earth would you know you've lost a second? Exactly. And you know, unless you literally slammed on and came to, well, I'm not coming to a stop, that's a bit dramatic, but, you know, drastically slowed down, obviously you'd know you'd lose a second, but you'd lose way more than a second then. You'd probably yeah. lose more than three seconds. So there is no real... There's nothing on his bike to say, oh, yeah, you've just lost the... I don't know, you know, on the screen, did they have a Delta or anything? Cause no, surely... say, it's not like they've no. got an on-screen Delta, because if, if they did, then races like last year at Austria where you've got Paula Spargro going into the last lap. Yeah, yeah. And he's leading by three tenths. He'd just go, oh, I'm three tenths in front. I'll not go for the defensive line. And he got yeah. told that he was right behind, Miller was right behind him. So mm. stuff like that doesn't exist. So it, I, like you say, that's a prime example as well, a good example to use. And he's not wrong in saying like, in what world does a rider know that? It's the same thing with the green with Oliveira last week and Mir. How would they know that they're on the green? They can't see that. No, I'd love anyone to tell me or show me anyone in the world that can look at maybe a car on the street and the car behind it and go, I want you to tell me to the millisecond what's the difference in time. Because if you then knew, oh, oh, now it's a second, you'd go. But again, you can't see that. You can't visually see a second. So that's a load of rubbish. The penalty itself's a load of rubbish. Race direction, yeah. load of rubbish. I'm putting in a formal email towards Freddie Spencer and asking for him to lose his job. <laughs> I, yeah. I agree on that one. Um, well, I, I do agree for the people saying that he should have been black flagged for the for the leather yeah. being open because of the rider safety. Whether, yeah, I was whether it was his fault or not, like I, it, there's there's no and don't get me wrong. I think Fabio would be the first person to say it's not safe, but he didn't cause it to happen. Nobody's saying he, he did cause it to happen. I mean, some people suggested. He wanted to open his leathers, which I don't get how nah, at that speed no you chance. can because they have a button at the top to unclip it to then zip yeah. it down to take something out. Like I, I, for for the life of me, the guy that the guy that's rode the rest of the race at Hareth with arm pump, he didn't exactly go. Well, I've got I've got zips here, so I'll just let it out and give myself a quick massage. You know what I mean? You can't do these kind of things, so it must have burst open in a way, and it, obviously. If he'd have opened them himself, we'd have seen the footage of it, or he would have said. I mean, it, it's, right. it's ridiculous. It's it's not like it was Hareth last year either. Obviously, last season at Hareth was what one of the warmest, if not the warmest, mm -hmm. um, Grand Prix they've ever had. And I think, yeah. in a way, you could you you could justify someone like opening their levers a little bit in that kind of scenario, but. It was an maybe, overcast maybe on like day. Maybe like a rundown lap or something like yeah. after the race, just, just un slightly unzipping it. Or something. But obviously mid-race, yeah, overcast. No, yeah. yeah. It was an overcast day, especially, you know, wouldn't. I mean, yeah, it, it's just, it was a freak accident. The zips broke, something's happened. And obviously during the race, he's not going to fumble about trying to, you know, zip it back up. I mean, on my bike, when I'm riding... We, I have, like, vents on the side of the, of the chest and trying to zip <laughs> them up going at, like, 40 mile per hour... Yeah. Sat up is is tough enough, you know. Yeah. It's, so so on a on a MotoGP bike, it's just that was not happening. Yeah, but again, I, mean, I do believe, unfortunately, even though it wasn't his fault, there was nothing he could have done about it. I do believe he should have been black flagged, brought into the pits, maybe so you know someone could zip it up for him if it was possible. Um, and if not, then I guess retired from the race. But yeah, it, it's 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 a stewarding again because nothing happened. Like, what were they mm -hmm. doing the whole time? Were the, were the stewards going around thinking, oh, we'll just wait to see if he zips, him, zips it up himself? 
Well, that's uh, what I mean. Point, I think that's why he did. Just... I think that's they were they were just sitting there going, "Oh, he'll zip it up." Like this is my point in that you've got an ex, an ex GP rider in Freddie Spencer sitting there, knowing at the speeds he rode at, you can't do that mm. with now more advanced leathers and advanced bikes, meaning quicker speeds. You definitely can't do. I can't take mm. my iPhone out of my pocket driving at thirty mile an hour. In a car, so I know for yeah. a fact you can't zip up a, pair, a, a set of leathers with ease racing at 200 mile an hour. So, for someone to say, Yeah, you know what, let's just let him keep going, like, in what world is that normal to do? Like, to just let someone, yeah. you know, somebody could easily overtake him and accidents happen, someone loses the front, takes him out, he flies into the gravel trap at, let's say, 100 mile an hour at best. Like, let's just say, let's be kind, 100 mile an hour. And you've got your leathers wide open. Mm. Like, yeah, I'm sorry, but it was yeah, it's da- it ridiculous. Was, it was bloody, it was dangerous. And in all honesty, as well, the all the finger can't just be pointed at, at you know the stewards, in my opinion, because the Fabio, surely fair enough. A lot of people would say, well, no one told him to stop, so you're going to keep on racing. But yeah. you know, is there an argument to say he should have known? Because he probably knew that he wasn't going to get that zipped up. That it, you know, we all knew that maybe it just unzipped itself and it was fine to zip up again. He pro- he probably knew that it was broken. There was even if he could zip it up, there was no chance of it happening. So, is there any kind of argument to say he should have gone into the pits himself off his own back? Yeah, or... I think it, and it's one of those things where unless he's told, like you yeah. said, he's a racer. He's going to keep racing until he's told you're not allowed to race anymore. And it wasn't like this was like they do have a rule for this. Like there is a rule stating that your your gear has to be like done up while on. And it, it's weird. I hope I uh, the Tank Slappers podcast was talking about it earlier today, and they were saying that the the wording on it is really weird because it basically says your leathers have to be up during on track activity, which on track activity could be an outlap, an in-lap, technically during the winter circle, like, you're, you're on track activity. Yeah. But they had, like, what, four or five laps of him riding around with his leathers open? Because this did happen towards the end of the race. Mm. You know, it, they had how many laps to tell, like, to see, okay, he's not coming in, he, he, he hasn't, like, stopped, because we saw last year, uh, in Lamal, when Rins went down, remember he got the uh, the strap tied around the back camera on his bike. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He he stopped. He took it upon himself to pull over, get that off, throw it off the side of the track, and then get going again. He there was wasn't flagged, like fuck. No, he was. He was he, flagged. Yeah, he, he got. Was he? Something. There was a short flag. I remember. I know exactly which instant you mean. Yeah, there was a short flag to say you need to pull over and check it. But he, that's something that he would have like you know, that's something rattling around on the bike. In, you think right. the riders' mentality, they would have been going, that's stopping me making go making me go faster. So rider mentality in a, a in a leather's being unzipped, they're just thinking, well, I'm I can go as quick as I can, so mm. I, I don't care what it is. Riders' mentality, whatever. Well, and if that, if that doesn't show you what extent riders will go to, yeah, the danger in it and everything, I'm more than aware, and I too I I, I do agree with what we've been saying, but. That is insane. Like the extent you'll go to at that speed to just be like, my leathers are open, but I don't care. It is yeah. insane. Yeah, I think it was the only thing I would say is I thought it was, I, I, I think it was bad taste 
you know, the joking afterwards from him on social media and things like that. I don't know. Especially since what happened last week with rider safety failing, basically, because that's mm. what did happen last week. And, you know, he had his leathers open. He's lost his chest plate. If he'd have fallen off, um, that would have been a nasty incident. Yeah. He, he, you know, he had a lot of protection missing there. So I think that I can understand maybe laughing and joke about it, but I don't know. For me, it was just in bad taste. Yeah. Because he, right. even after admitting as well that he should have got black flagged for it, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's bad when you know the rider is saying, I should have been black flagged. Yeah. Like, that's when you know the stewards have screwed up. Yeah. I I saw the the Fabio thing, and I think mainly what he was joking... I think think him and his mate Tom are more so taking the mick out of it because it's it's like, it's not so much the stewards doing anything about it, it's all the other riders. Not all the other riders, but some of the riders that Fabio classes as mates or, you know, gets on fairly well with straight after the race, their first concern was to get Fabio penalised for it because he put up... Mm. A, there was a few things put up, like, nice to see the the faces of people who I trust or something like that. So he was referring to other riders and maybe, like, former colleagues or, I don't know, other people that were basically, before they'd thought about themselves, they thought about not saying we should look at, you know, rider safety. They were looking at penalising Fabio. That's, yeah. that's more so Again, what it was that's... aimed at. But I... It's I do, I do know what you mean. Yeah, it, it's in bad taste, but at the same time, you know, it's a two-way street in that that it's not really for other people to be, you know, leave that. That should be like we've said. That should be between the stewards and Fabio, mm. because that's ultimately it's Fabio's safety before it's anybody else's. Because if he goes down, it's not going to affect anybody else other than himself. And yeah. it should be for the stewards to look after it. So in the same breath that Fabio should maybe not put something like that up in some people's opinions. It shouldn't be for other people to go complain about a, a problem that's got nothing to do with them. Do you know what I mean? It's mm. That's kind of in a bad taste when they're all in a situation like last week where, you know, there's a family there that have lost a son, a, a, a brother or whatever, and they they don't have that. And there's people that are wanting other people to get penalised for something that he's not been able to control. And it's not affected them. So, I don't know. There's a bit of backstabbing and stuff like that that might be going on. But what a story. It's it's definitely blown up into a huge, huge story besides the fact of, like, Miguel Oliveira winning, which I'm going to let Matt yeah, we haven't be touched on. on. Yeah, we touched on, that's but, what I want. Yeah. How how ironic is it, Matt, that we that the typical Red Sector jinx, we did our quarter the way through grades, and Miguel Oliveira... As I, I love Miguel, great rider. It's just mm-hmm. been fantastic through every class. Very smart rider. You know, got all the tools. I think I said last week, and if you could pick a perfect pairing, I'd pick him and Brad Binder for KTM. They just they just fit great. Mm. And just he's one of those guys, isn't it? I mean, you saw the the timesheet come up at the end with the consistency, and that sort of consistency gives me what like is... Lorenzo vibes. Like when he used to go like the same three tenths of a second for like 20 laps it was just mm-hmm. so yeah. good to watch it, that 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 new ktm chassis and kind of fuel mixture if you want yep. to add that into the equation but you know that is just a different beast now it's a totally different bike we're seeing you know we've seen a totally different Oliveira and brad bender i guess i was about saying bender so what, hasn't yeah. been doing bad either 
to what we saw in the first, what, four, four or five races of the season? I think they had it, did they say they had it ready for the French GP, but because of the weather, it yeah. wasn't yeah. realised. So basically for the first, you know, four and five GPs for all intents and purposes, you know, it's just a totally different bike to that. And going forward, I'm really excited to see the potential of this bike because it's only, well, it's it's only going to get better. I know we've got Austria to come to Austria's, and we know the KTM goes around, likes to go around that track. And mm-hmm. because it's its home race, or KTM's home race, and Red Bull's home race, and they've got two of them. God, they're going to be riled up for that. Um, yeah. And how does it go around Sachsen Ring, though? Uh, the well, KTM. The, this KTM that we're seeing at the minute, and maybe hints of last year KTM, we've not really seen it around the, the Saxon mm. Ring because. Before that, it was a very different bike. Like the 2019 prior KTM is very different to the 2020 and yeah. the new 2021 uh, well, chassis. So it's it it is very much a, a you know a up in the of, open a, question, up in, yeah, an really, open yeah. question in what uh, will happen with that. I mean, we, we kind of know the Hondas like um, Sachsen Ring, or Marquez does anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, them two, them two words are interchangeable most of the time anyway. Um, and we know that the, the KTM is kind of inspired a little bit by the Honda, so I do wonder if it is if it will be a KTM track it's as well as like a Honda make, track. Yeah, because I mean, they've got the most Honda man in the paddock, yeah, being the test rider for them in Danny Pedrosa. I mean, like I said last week, the guy's been on Honda since. I think Danny Pedrosa, I don't think he's ever not been on a Honda when he's raced. He's been on a Honda since 2001. I think he started his career in 125s, if I'm right. And, you know, rode for Repsol Honda since 2006, I think. I think that's mm. when he got went into, into Grand Prix. So, you know, over 10 years on a Repsol Honda and you put him as a test rider, all he's going to know on how to go fast is, is what went fast on a Honda. And like you say, it's... It's got the characteristics, a bit bulky, a bit bit of a thicker build than a than a Honda. But looking at Saxon Ring results of a 2019 bike, I mean, this is to test your memory a little bit in that the two riders would have been, well, one of them would have been Johan Zarco. That's how long ago that seems. And that seems an <laughs> age ago, doesn't it? Yeah. Since, wow. Since Zarco was on it. So the KTM got 12th with Paul and Zarco crashed out. But it was 26 seconds off the race win, which was Marquez. And obviously everyone before um, the, the new Marquez, the old Marquez around Saxon Ring, it's different, different gravy, completely untouchable. But, you know, 20, let's say 20 seconds off the main, and anyone other than Marquez being Vinales in P2. Um, I'd, I, I think I'd be right in saying that I'd be amazed if it was out of the top, Six, seven, eight, maybe. Saxon Ring. Mm. I think that's what they'll be aiming for. I think they'll be aiming for like a top five. If they can get a top five around Saxon Ring, that'd be such a result. But what a flip in thinking that two weeks ago, me and Matt were like, give him an F or a U, maybe. He's been absolutely, you know, and it was right in saying that they have been completely off of it. But yeah, at that now, point, they had been. Yeah, you look at KTM now, and it's just like like you say, Josh. It's just completely different team, complete completely different team. But this is the KTM that I predicted would be coming into twenty twenty one, and it was so weird to see them so far back. Um, yeah, like I say, I, I did at the start of the year say to a, a couple of mates of mine that 
Oliveira, I had a P5, maybe even a P4 in championship. And two weeks ago, I looked like an idiot saying that. But two weeks on, I look like a bit of a genius because he's been given a bike and he's got P2 and P1. So at this rate, I think, like you say, it's a good point to bring up with the Austria thing. I think they'll be rubbing their hands thinking about Austria and two Austrias at that. Like if there's going to be one track to be two of, Ducati and KTM will be absolutely buzzing Mm. that there's two Austrias. So who knows? But if, if they win there again... And it's Oliveira or Binder, that will be insane. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as well, though, Assen, do you think that could be a good KTM track? Going If we're staying on the kind of KTM Oliveira, you know, the kind of the, the Phoenix rising from the ashes and what they can potentially do at certain tracks. Yeah. You know, Assen's next after, after Saxon Ring. Yeah. Could I this think... be a good four? Because that, that, it goes Saxon Ring, Assen. Then you two Styrian, or you you know you two Austrian Austria, Grand Prix, yeah. then British Grand Prix. I'm wondering if this could be a really good run for the KTM. Definitely, definitely. I mean, Assen maybe. I don't think it's gonna. It, I can't see it being one of those tracks where they'll have a chance of winning. But if they got a podium at a track like Assen, would be an incredible result. Um, but. I think Assen is more where you look at your Yamahas, your Suzukis, and the likes of maybe the odd Ducati here and there. But Saxon ring, tight and twisty. But again, like you say, suits a Honda. I think they'll be happy to get the bad racers out of the way at tracks that maybe don't suit them as much other than your likes of Portimao. But this new bike coming into tracks that definitely does suit them is a very good four or five racers to have. I think they'll even do well at, at Silverstone, to be honest. Hmm. So, quick question. I don't know if you guys have the stats up in front of you. How many laps do you think Oliveira didn't lead? Did I looked lead? at the I looked at the lap chart and the amount of laps he didn't leave, I I thought it was like this number baffles me. Um he, Go ahead, take a guess. Oh, oh god. Uh trying to remember. How many I think we were focused on 24 laps. 24 laps. Was it? I'm going to go with four laps. He didn't lead. He didn't lead three laps. Yeah, Ugh. I was going to say four. Or the three, first one, right. and then lap 12 and 13 when Fabio took the lead. I like. I'm looking at this like I could have sworn like it was Miller up there and Quattararo and like like this was a back and I'm, I'm looking I'm like. No, he dominated this race. He yeah. took that lead and didn't give it back except for two laps. Like this, this is a completely different bike mm. from what they had a couple weeks, you know, well, about a month ago. Like, well, imagine if they wouldn't have changed anything from the results they were getting from all the way up to Le Mans, and then they'd gone to Magellan and said, "We've not changed anything." Uh, we'll see how this weekend goes. And they got those results. You would have been like, what have you changed on that bike? So <laughs> to go from where they were, just to change, like, the sh- I know they've changed more than just the chassis of it, but what, a, what, I mean, we're talking a bike that should be on previous year's form, 2020. You, you'd expect it to be up there a couple of times a year to, to charge for a race win. 
since this new change, yeah, it's only two tracks that we can't judge them off a whole season of it. Maybe next year we can go a full season of a competitive KTM. But let's say three quarters of a season we'll get now of a competitive KTM. They're in serious content. If Oliveira keeps up the form that he's showing and pace throughout the weekend, because he's not blagging it, you know, he's not turning up on a Sunday and coming out of nowhere. But if he is like he is at the minute, I seriously think Miguel Oliveira can challenge for a top three in the championship. Mm. It's a mm. bold statement, but that mm. new KTM is is cooking. It is cooking. Yeah, it really is. If really you is. if they would have gone to Mugello and said they hadn't changed anything, and the bike would have done what it did, even as a KTM fan, I would have been like, this is some Ferrari like 2019 level shit here. Like, yeah. what did you? <laughs> what trick did you just figure out? To turn this bike completely around, yeah, because mm. that's like that's the flip that this bike has made. Like, even when I saw Oliveira get second, I'm like, okay, I know they changed chassis. I know there there's this new fuel they're using, but like, what the hell did they put in this jet fuel? <laughs> because yeah. it like and it it matched the speed record. Binder matched the speed record yeah, yeah. last week. Yeah. So not only is it just better, you know, is it doing better? It's as fast as a Ducati. They've got some Red Bull infused. Yeah, they poured Red Bull straight fuel. into the tank. <laughs> um, I mean, Brad Binder down in eighth, you know, moving on kind of mm-hmm. and, and talking more about KTM. I, I don't know. Would you say, would you say that's a good result for Binder? Slash the other KTM, or you is Oliveira just uh, just making the the result of Brad Binder look worse than it actually is? Yeah, basically. I think that is I think having a, have an effect on it. But just on that, I think with Brad and Miguel, the reason I think they're really good for one another, like there's there's a bunch of things, but they are slightly different riders in that Miguel is. Kind of, to me, he's like a Yamaha rider, what I think of in that he's smooth, very intelligent, very good on tyres and consistent. That, to me, is like a characteristic you see in, like like I said, like a Lorenzo and what we've seen with Quattararo. Whereas Brad Binder, not saying he's not consistent, but he's a lot more aggressive, a lot more suited to that kind of V4 style. Mm. Um, so maybe with the current changes... Brad's not reaping all the rewards of it. He's improved. That's that's a yeah, definite. He's yeah. improved. Because even like a P6 did he get or a P4 or 5 in Portimao. But, uh, besi- but yeah, besides that, his general pace through the weekend and getting in Q2 and just in general, Brad looks quicker. I think when it gets to tracks like Austria, you will see if Brad's really taken to this new chassis. But there's, I mean, there's no doubt. I don't think I'm, I'm stating. I, mean, I know I'm stating the obvious in saying it's Miguel's definitely taken to it. So either way, it's a step forward for KTM. But you know, mm-hmm. let's just see how they get on with yeah. Saxon Ring and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Anything other than that that you want to mention before we get onto the rider of the day? Um, yeah, well, a few things, I guess. On the flip side to the kind of factory KTM, we've got Tech Three. And if we're talking about hot seats and, you know, um, Gardner and possibly Fernandez coming up, I mean, Petrucci crashing, up on, crashing out on lap five and then 
Lacona crashing out on lap 16. It's just, mm-hmm. again, for a tech three, well. another. another hmm? Lacona looked yeah. good. Yeah, he did. I mean, what He's was he in ninth good. at one point? Yeah, he that, honestly, Lacona, since Le Mans, I have the lap chart in front of me, has too. been looking good, like pace wise. And again, pace means nothing without results. But in terms yeah. of Lacona at the start of the year, where we were like Tech 3 are miles behind. These last few races, I don't think Tech 3 will be massively disappointed in. Forget next year, just this year at the minute, pace-wise, they are breaching around that top 10 spot, aren't they? They're just sitting around there where yeah. at the start of the year, it was just Savadori, maybe one of the, the either Marini, you know, Bastianini, and then you had like a Tech 3 or something, both Tech 3s where they kind of separated themselves away from that the last few races. Yeah, they crashed, but they've kind of taken the way out of the conversation of fighting for the second to last place. So I think if Lacona can bring it home, I mean, he might secure himself a better ride for next year or something. But like you say, it's a case of the whole Fernandez thing. I, Me personally, I can't see either one of them riders staying. If, if, no. if, if Fernandez comes up next year, what rider let's say he's in tech three like what's going to happen to them i can't i don't know maybe maybe if dovi doesn't go to aprilia maybe they'll put petrucci on it maybe italian rider you know yeah it's a possibility because Dovi might turn around and say you don't want to race next year you never know but i think that's looking more likely with him turning his test rider but yeah, I mean, the Tech 3 situation's a bit... It's the only really talking point at the minute, isn't it, With, in terms of driver market, because of the Moto2 domino yeah. effect. Yeah, exactly. Well, and... I mean, I was going to say all the other all the other kind of teams are pretty, pretty locked in, I guess. I mean, the only other... I mean, Tech 3... Did, did the Remy Gardner thing come out after we put on an episode last week? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Was. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Remy Gardner is taking one of the Tech Three seats. Yeah. So right there, we've got one seat gone. So now it's a matter of well, who can outperform and try to save their seat? I mean, like you know, he was like one was running in ninth place before he crashed out. I mean, I think that's the highest he's been all season. You know, Petrucci was has had some, I can't even say some consistency because he hasn't. It, it, like the whole thing with Tech 3, you know, the Tech 3 seats I think are maybe the h- hottest commodity for as far as free seats go. Because you're going to have those two, you're, you might have an Aprilia seat, and then the Sky VR46 seats. But you almost fit, like you can almost pretty much predict who's going to be on those. Like it's yeah. probably going to be Marini, it and Bezecchi. I don't want to say Bezek. I see. I didn't want to say Bezeki. Yeah, no, probably. Yeah, because Bastianini is going to probably stay where he is. Yeah, Bastianini is not a VR forty six rider. He, he he's very well intertwined with the whole VR forty six guys and everything, but. Bastianini is right. managed by his uncle, so he, he's very much family-ran sort of thing. The whole VR46 chain is very much the academy system, so I could probably see domino effect-wise, especially the age that they're at, I can see Marini and Bazecchi in a VR46 team next year, or maybe mm-hmm. maybe maybe Rossi. 
maybe he won't retire. <sighs> but let, let's say academy-wise, that'll happen. I think you'll see Vietti and either Antonelli or Mino on a Moto2 VR46 machine next year. And it'll just it'll work its way up like that because VR46 don't... I mean, there's a, there's a rumour, and don't get me wrong, it's a very, very sparse rumour at the minute, but that the one rider VR46 are currently willing to break the mould of Italian young rider is to put and to buy out of the contract is the Acosta to uh, VR46 Moto2, but I can't see that happening. Mm. I can't no. see that happening. Red Bull's mm. going to hold on to him with everything they have. Yeah, yeah they'll, they'll chuck a big contract at him to sign on to KTM for like mm-hmm. four years or something. I don't know, but... I think if you were Acosta's manager, you'd be daft to sign a, a long contract. Um, if you know what his stock value is, I mean, just on that, you look at Joan Mir, who with Mark VDS mo- went to Motor Two and signed. If I could be wrong, but if memory serves me right, I think it was a four-year deal, meaning he would have been to VDS, and if he'd have gone to GP, he would have stuck with VDS. But Suzuki bought that contract out, which got VDS a fair sharing money but like at the same time it was daft to sign into a long contract because if someone mm. better comes calling then you know it makes no sense but <laughs> with the costa i can only see him being in motor 2 io next year one <laughs> thing i can't understand is brad bender signing till 2024 i just you know they seem with the talent they've got coming up fernandez gardner acosta it seems odd to tie someone in for that length of time in you know for the next yeah. three four seasons unless they contract, think i know it's unless they the only my only thinking around this is the one one kind of c which is stability which is someone who's going to be there long time as like you know the the kind of the the wise old figure who kind of knows the ropes who's a bit consistent who can get results and you know knows a bike and i'm maybe the the probably Unless I don't unless I tie Oliveira down for a longer contract, maybe they're thinking he's going to move on, and then the likes of Gardner or Fernandez will move into that seat. But then I don't know. It just but then it works. How does it work with Acosta or the other one of yeah, Gardner I mean, and Fernandez? It just seems it's like they they're expecting that one of those will will be going elsewhere. I don't maybe. know. But I mean, you've got Brad Binder, who's a year younger than Oliveira and less experienced in MotoGP than Miguel Oliveira. Yeah. I don't see out of the both of them why you would pick Binder. And I'm not saying you've got to pick one or the other, but in relation to what you're saying with the talent coming through, if you were to put one on a long term contract, mm. forget, I mean, don't get me wrong, Brad Binder signed the contract when you've got Oliveira doing this at the minute that's just unreal. But if I'm KTM, and we've got this new chassis coming, I would have said, see how they get on with this, because this is the thing we're moving forward with. Whoever gets on best with it, secure them in, because the direction we've changed for, it suits that rider. And Oliveira being older, more experienced, race winner three times now, twice on a less competitive tech, uh, KTM bike, now a race winner on the in the factory team. I don't, for me, I don't see why you'd pick Binder for the long term. It makes sense stability-wise and experience-wise and everything else to pick Oliveira. Yeah, like, it I, does I, seem... I don't, It doesn't really add up to me unless they put. Because if they now put Oliveira on a three, co- I don't know if Oliveira wants to stay in a KTM. Let's say he sees a future with KTM. Yeah, 
and then negotiate three years, let's say, and he's there till 2023, 2024, something like that. If I'm Acosta, Fernandez, I just think, well, what's the point going to Tech 3? Because I'm not going to get in that factory team. Yeah. So there's no point. Do you know what I mean? I, I don't see any point in that. But it also, in the same breath, if I'm Oliveira and I've just won a race for them and on the podium and I'm not getting given a contract, I'd be thinking, well, what have I got to do to get a contract? And if someone else does come in for me, I'll go. Yeah. It, do you know well, what I mean? Yeah, like, the, the, the Suzuki most... might turn around and say, you know, we don't want Rins, we'll have Oliveira, something like that. It. KTM must know thing of well obviously they know things we don't but in that in that sense of the rider market and their plans over the next three or four years they must know something because that's, that's it just the seems of having such a depth in talent with the through the system yeah if they I mean you've got a bottleneck you at, yeah you've got a Costa right so let's say a Costa steps on a Moto Two bike and let's say it takes him till twenty twenty three right. So it'll do one season in Moto Two, does all right, does fairly well. Let's say the next year he, he rides the absolute wheels off of it. Binder's still secure for one more year, mm. and he'll be thinking, "My value as such a young rider, I want to be racing for a factory team." They've lost him. He's not going to go to Tech Three, yeah. uh, unless unless by that time that Tech Three is as competitive as that factory team, and the factory team is competitive to win races week in, week out, which in three years' time, I can't see that KTM being that competitive every mm. race, if it is fair enough. But in the same thing, Oliveira, if Brad Brind- simple terms, if Brad Binder deserves three years, or whatever it is, Oliveira deserves four. Yeah, He, just, he, just do- he deserves more. He's done more for KTM. He's won more races. He's got better mm. results. He took the bike further in development. He's done everything better for for KTM other than the brief one year he went to Leopard in terms of loyalty, which realistically, loyalty means so much, but results means a lot more in the real world. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I don't I don't get why the length of the Brad Binder thing. I, I'd have got two years I'd have understood. I'd have understood if it was like till the end of 2022 or 2023. Yeah. But the end of 2024 is a long it's, contract. Yeah, it just the, seems a, a bit got, of an enigma. With the depth they've got, really it's a very bold move. Unless they've got things planned in the next couple of years, like a third team. I don't but know. E- even still, a third team, yeah, it's, it's not a factory team, is it? No. You can only have one factory yeah, team. Exactly. It's, it's, it just seems, yeah, it just seems bizarre. I really can't understand it. I think someone's typed, typed it wrong. They were meant to put 2022. <laughs> And they've kind of just gone with it to spare the bushes, you know. Yeah, I don't I mean, know. It, it just seems daft. I mean, just, uh, yeah. Just on that point, just with looking at like maybe adding another team. So look at somebody like Ducati, who have got a factory team, a B team, and then they've got you know another satellite team. In their B team in Pramac, they have factory bikes. So Zarco and Martin are on twenty twenty one. Ducati bike, the exact same bike that Miller and Bagnaia are on, except yeah. that Bagnaia and Miller have got factory support, a lot more people in the factory. Any new parts that come in, they'll get given them. Yeah. But you've got to look at that and look at Zarco, who was saying, even though I'm in a B team, it's, it's common knowledge and sensical logic that Zarco, if given the chance to go to Ducati factory team, would go. As anyone would, 
in his position because it's a better option. He's riding the same bike with yeah. more support, with more priority on it. So whether you put a KT, even if Tech 3 got two of the same year's bikes, so if they got, for example, this year, if they were all on 2021 bikes, being in that B team does not necessarily mean you're on, you know, level playing field with the factory mm. rider. You know, it doesn't. You've not got the same equipment, support and everything. If the, if there's a really good, I don't know, engineer that's coming through that they've they've had at, at Yamaha in Japan or something, he will go to the factory team. He won't go to the, the B team. He'll go to the factory team. Yeah. So just talking about that, like, they're in a sticky situation now because they've got to give Oliveira something because if they don't and somebody... I mean, is it really unrealistic to think Suzuki might turn around and think, well, he's consistent, he wins races, and he's at a prime time in his career where Oliveira's 26, still coming into like them prime years and just looks unbelievable. Do we get him? I mean, I know Rins is... I think Rins and Mir are contracted till the end of 2022. I think I believe they got two year contracts last year and they both I know they both signed at the same time. But if they were to buy that out, so to speak, and get rid of Rins and get, you know, Oliveira in, they've lost that guy that's basically took them to where they are today, this current day. And this current day, they've given the guy who hasn't done it in Binder <laughs> a three year contract. For, is it three or four years? Three, yeah, yeah, three, three year extension. So, so starting next year, three, yeah, yeah. Which I don't know. Like, I, I rate Binder highly. I don't think any of us here are sitting here now thinking Binder, Binder doesn't deserve to be in a factory team for that long. He is an unbelievable rider, but it's going down the spiral of the talent they've got coming through. Which obviously you don't prioritize over your GP team, but a long term thing like that is very questionable. Yeah, this could be, yeah. this could be like a something everyone looks back on in years yeah. to come, being like, oh yeah, I remember when they gave that contract to Brad Binder, and then Fernandez ended up going to so and so, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. But it'll be one of those. It's one of them. It's make or break in that it could go that way, or it could go Binder could in two years' time challenge for a world title and say, well, it's tied down for another year because yeah. they yeah. want to sign him for so long, then. You know, I know we're talking if buts and maybes, but it is it is questionable. I, I I'm glad you've brought it up because it's it's just one of them things that when I saw it, I did I did genuinely think like 2024, like you don't realize how far away that is when you think mm. about. I mean, we're talking the same contract length minus a year that Mark Marquez got pre pre COVID Marquez. So I'm talking. Prime Marquez got signed to to the end of 2024 with Honda, uh, and you know an eight time world champion, yeah, as opposed to a Moto Three world champion that's won a race on uh, a KTM. And again, not discrediting him, but Marquez, you can understand 2024 stock value is the highest it'll ever be. Champion every year. You know, you would, wouldn't you? It makes sense. Yeah. You, you, the, the whole factory is built around Marquez. Brad Binder till 2024. I don't get it. Yeah, it's odd. Um, one, yeah, a, so... a few more things I want to mention, unless you've got anything to add on the subject, Matt. No. That's no. just crying because <laughs> yeah. rinsing KTM for their tactics. <laughs> 
Um, he's not crying really because they've won, so you can't be can't you know. Yeah. Matt, mm. Matt's just smiling away, loving life. Matt, I'm just happy. <laughs> yep. A, a few things, a, yeah, a few things to mention. Um, I guess it's good to see Martin back on a bike. Yeah, mm-hmm. really good to see him back. Of course, he didn't really feature much. He's down languishing in fourteenth. Fourteenth. But good to see him back. Good to see him finish a race. Um, and hopefully he'll go from strength to strength now as he gets his his fitness back. Uh, I mean, still Spargaro, injured. Still he's still injured. injured. Yeah. So I'm again said. Even better. He even said he, he he's gonna take it slow because he saw what happened to Mark and yeah. how Mark had, tried to rush back and it hurt him more. He's like, I I saw what happened. I'm gonna take my time. Yo, know, he he was apparently. I thought I heard he could could have came back last week. Yeah, he could. Yeah. But he said no. I'm gonna wait. I don't want to rush this. And came back this week, and he'll, you know, he'll get back in the swing of things as it go, as the season goes yeah. on. Yeah, it was originally Definitely. planned to come back for Magello, but I think in a combination of doctors' advice, but I mean doctors' advice, Marquez, and Magello, they always advise him not to really. But like, you know, Magello would have been a very physical track and mm-hmm. just really got the right option. I mean, Martin at the age that he's at, he's got years and years in front of him, yeah. And you know, he's just signed a contract as well. Let's not forget, they both just oh, yeah, signed. Yeah. They both just signed to stay on as Ducati riders for another year. So, yep. in terms of Martin at the age that he's at, and the situation he's in, no rush. They've got confidence in him. They know his talent. Take your time, get your fitness back up, and just work your way back to the front, chip away. Because obviously, everyone knows from Qatar how how good he was. So, and that's that's the first time he's rode the bike. So, give him a you know full season on it and. Who knows? You you might see wonders from him, but yeah, good point to bring up. It was good to see him back. Um, and again, Repsol Hondas, another poor week for them. Another another week to forget for Repsol Honda. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, Paul and Paul who just can't seem to get to grips with that bike, and Mark who seems to just be just pushing his luck every single race. Yeah, they've just tested a new aero uh, package today. Uh, Honda have. I don't know if you've seen any of the images from no. today's test. Yeah, Mark's done the most laps out of anybody today, actually, which is laps. quite surprising. How many laps was it? 87? It was 87. Yeah, I did see that. Wow. Uh, but he has, he has said after it that it's ridiculously painful and unbelievably difficult to do it, but he needed it. He mm. needed to go through it, in, not only for fitness-wise and everything, but that bike needs laps. It needs yeah. laps and a lot of data to to try and figure out what they're doing wrong because I think from last year losing Mark, they started to go in a direction almost waiting for him to come back, change it a little bit, not too much. And then when the third operation came in, they almost went, right, we're going to have to change things so that it's more neutral. And they've not found that neutral sweet spot. Yeah. Um, because you've got Nakagami who on a good day can put in a decent result and you know can be good pace wise but result wise can't really do the business at the minute no doubt he could <laughs> given the right bike you've got Alex Marquez who you know let's let's say it as it is is not pulling up any trees at the moment riding around at the back and you've got Paul who's moved from KTM like we've said <laughs> yeah and 
now on a Repsol Honda. And, and yeah, it's a tough bike to adapt to, but we've now got a bike that, like I said last week, it, it's common knowledge now that that bike is not a good bike. It's not like a good bike for Mark. Yeah, the Mark is not the same Mark that we've seen beforehand, but that bike has got worse. That There's no question that a full fitness Mark would be as quick as previous Mark. I don't think he would. Um, so, yeah, that, that bike finishing like a top 10 would be a good result at the minute because it's miles off. But, yeah, he's they're struggling, aren't they? under in general i think not just the the reps or boys i think in general they're they're just miles off of it but they test today like i say in nakagami's p3 but mm. when it comes to a race weekend the miles off yeah i mean at least the lcr guys were able to keep it on the track this weekend mm, that's true that's a rarity i was gonna say yeah, they kind of took alex it didn't crash out yeah they kind of took it in turns. The start of the year, it was just LCR crash, LCR crash, <laughs> LCR crash. Mark came mm-hmm. back, and then it was like reps or crash, reps or crash. So, yeah, they they literally can't do right for doing wrong, and it's so weird to see because two years ago, you always saw that orange bike, orange, red, and white bike, just knocking around the front no matter what. Do you know what I mean? You mm-hmm. you got used to if it rained if it was warm, if it was overcast, if it was snowing, you'd have seen Mark Marquez at the front. You know what I mean? He, he yeah. Just, there, there was no condition or racetrack that Mark wasn't near the front. So it was weird to see, like now, where you've just got Ducati, Yamaha, Suzuki, KTM, and there's no no Honda at all. There's not even tracks like, like Saxon Ring. Are we going to go to Saxon Ring and see a competitive Honda? I personally can't see it. I can see no, Mark. I, can't. I can see Mark maybe putting in a one lapper and getting a decent qualifying result. But if he gets knocked about on that arm and you know pushes that one bit too far, I think it's it's crazy to think that an injured Mark Marquez is the only chance for Honda to get anything. Saxon. Yeah, really. I, think I that mean, shows the extent of how bad they're doing. They have a little bit of opportunity because that I'm. I want to say Ducatis are pretty much out of the picture for Saxon Ring. I could be wrong there. but I think they've improved since previous Saxon yeah. Rings, but I wouldn't say you'd go, oh, Ducati are going to do wonders at Saxon Ring. But having said that, having said that, I would have never said two Ducatis on the podium at Barcelona. Mm. You know, it's not it's not really a uh, Ducati track. And Ducati didn't do anything at Mugello, did they? A track that we all expect to Ducati yeah. do wonders at. So, but, I mean... Let's be honest, red sector jinx. We'll probably see a a, a Ducati one, two, three. Probably see Martin on the on the top step. <laughs> no, we'll probably see Marini on the top step with like Pastinini yeah. and Martin as second and third. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe a Spargo, maybe a Leish will get on the or Savadori, you know. <laughs> it would be right if that happened. But yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one with Ducati going to Saxon Ring. You'd, uh, the, it's been a while since they've been there, like Mugello. So you don't really know whose bikes now, as opposed mm. to two years ago, are, are going to suit. So, right. um, leading on from that, do you want to do Rider of the Day and then Fantasy, or do you want to? Yeah, I'd say so. I, I want to ask real quick. You know, Josh, you were going through all the teams. Uh, yeah, I see Mir was in fourth. Where was Rins this weekend? <laughs> Oh, oh yeah, we didn't we get to talk Rins. about that. Oh, well, I'll keep it brief on Rins. Keep it brief. What an idiot. What, what, I mean, what what did I hear or read? He was he, reading his, he, he was looking at his phone while running. Or he was riding oh, his yeah. bike around oh. the track 
instead of doing a track walk, he prefers to ride his bike around. He looked at his phone to read a text message and ran into the back of a van parked onto the track side. He had he what he broke his he broke his radius and he had a uh, severe laceration. So he cut his arm open pretty bad and broke his radius. I literally read the story and just went, I can't wait for this for Josh to just absolutely rinse him. He actually just thought, you know what? I don't even want the embarrassment of falling off this weekend. So I'm just going to be even more embarrassing. (laughs) And this news came out like really early on Thursday because I, I saw the news and then the press conference started right after it. And Amy Reynolds was talking to Matt Burton, was like, there's breaking news, and, like, said this. I'm just like, this man has the worst luck. Like... I mean, he does create his own luck in some senses, but, yeah, I do I do know what you mean. With, <laughs> reading your with having a riding luck. a bike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you kind of, yeah. Um, but I, I just read it. I gave myself a little chuckle because of the... Obviously, it was all right. And, you, you know, nothing drastic's happened, but it was more a case of just sitting there thinking, I've got a segment on the podcast where I just hand over to Josh and just every week, <laughs> it's just every 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 week, you just know that even if he does well, he'll have done something wrong in Josh's eyes to not do well enough. So <laughs> it's good to know that it, there's going to be a, an assessment of Rins' performance, but we didn't get one other than riding into the back of a van. And it's sad that he's become a bit of a laughingstock at the minute, but that's all he is at the minute. He is yeah. a laughingstock of his own demise, isn't he? I mean, even like mm-hmm. Magello doing so well, can bring it home P4, maybe P5 on a, on a on a bad day or something if he'd have slipped back and not had the pace, but bins it and, you know, come into Catalonia where Suzuki looked promising. It looked fairly good. Mm-hmm. And doesn't even start the race weekend. He might, I think I heard, is he, I think the doctor said something like, there's eighty percent chance he'll be there at at Saxon Ring. So, yeah. and Saxon Ring's not one that's uh, known for being a non-crashing track. Non forgiving track. Yeah, you 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 spend so much time on the uh, what is it? It's a it's a an anti-clockwise. Isn't it? Yeah, so you spend so much time on the left-hand side of the of the bike that as soon as you go down to the waterfall at turn, I think it's turn ten, and you go right. You've not been on that right-hand side since turn one, I think it is. Is it turn one? The last right-hander? Oh, no, turn, what is it? Turn one, two, three. In that long right-hander. And then you go left, 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 all the way around. And then they get back on that side. So front-end folding, I think that's Alex Rins' middle name. So, I mean, we'll probably see him crash. That's my prediction. Rins, if if he races at Saxon Ring, at some point in the weekend, he'll crash there. And if he crashes in the race, it'll be either there or maybe in the back of a van. <laughs> yeah. So I think with that, we'll move on to driver of the day. Driver? Yeah, driver. Rider of the day. Got his F1 head on. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's just so used to hearing driver of the day. Yeah. Um. Uh, I'll, I'll go first and I'm going to keep it simple. Okay. I'm just going to go Oliveira. Really, I am. I mean, I know we try not to go. Eh? You say this every time. You're like, I know we don't usually go for this. Yeah, I know. We try not to go for the the leader, but I'm going to take the lead. Yeah, it's trying to. I'm two of the races today. I try not to go for the winner, 
but I'm going to go for the winner. Because, but I don't know, it just seems fitting to give him Rider of the Day because he was the Rider of the Day. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, Zarko, Miller, Mia. I mean, Vinales, I guess, got honours go to him only because he's actually done half decent for a change um, and finished above his teammate. Uh, but I think, yeah, for me, it's got to be Oliveira. Okay. Bono? Um, I'm going to give it Bastianini just because I think top 10 on that bike's a great yeah, result. Yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. He yeah. has quite good this weekend. I think... I think it was FP2 he finished in the top 10. I think it was P10 in FP2 or something like that. I know it's FP2. It doesn't count for anything. But, um, yeah, I've, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Bastianini. I think he's a great rider. And on that bike, being one of the least competitive bikes, he's breaking to the top 10 on that bike. I think it's a good day's work. So I'll, I'll give it Bastianini. I'm going to take Jack Miller. And the reasoning for that is... He was up towards the front. Yeah, he dropped back to fourth, but he had the mindset that when he saw Fabio go off, he knew if I just stay behind him, there's a chance he has a penalty coming. So be right there with him, and you could get a podium for this. So to have that mindset, like, yeah, as a racer, you want to, you're thinking about the win, but at that point to be like, I'm not getting the win. I'm going to stay right with Fabio because I will probably get this podium. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair fair pick. I mean, uh, I think if you're a Ducati rider and you come away from this weekend from that track with a, any trophy, I think you're mm-hmm. more than happy. So, yeah, and especially with Benyaya finishing seventh, you know, Bashanini, it, well, Zarco was a second. But I think that's a good result, though, Zarka. I mean, he gained seven yeah, tenths on the last really two laps, I think it was, and he finished mm-hmm. 0.175 behind Oliveira. And yeah. Oliveira, we're talking, like Josh says, you know, unbelievable race today and really, really strong and competitive. He just absolutely fields ahead, if you like. But you say that, and Zarka's finished that close behind him and just a great result. I think Zarka would be maybe my second pick for... Uh, rider of the day. Yeah, he'd yeah. be mine too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, looking at the world championship real quick, uh, we got Fabio in the lead, 115, Zarco on 101, and Miller on 90. So, um, oh, Ben Yai is in eight, got 88, so he's still up there. He's still poking around, but this is definitely, I don't want to say becoming a two race or two rider battle. Here's a four-horse race between the factory Ducatis, Zarco and Quattararo, for me, personally. I think that's the main four at the minute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because so, after that, you get the mirror at 78. So that's pretty much where you're starting to like drop down in large increments. Yeah, I think Mir's got to win a race or be getting constant podiums to break into that championship fight at the minute. Obviously, he's better this time of the year than he was last time of the year but and he went on to win the world with uh, the world title but i think if i think last year was a case of whoever was most consistent but you've got quattraro that wins races you've got zarco that's constantly fighting for podiums and uh, just pick one of them i mean pick zarco mir has got to be on the podium most races than not to challenge zarco because zarco is always in that picture so you know Mir 
in order to be in the championship fight this year, for me, has to break into that top three a lot more often, or at least fight for that top three. So, did he yeah. say so, P4? Yeah. P4, wasn't it? Yeah, P4 yeah. for me, which is uh, a good result, but um, yeah, it, it for me, Mia's got to just maybe be P3, P2 more often to be a championship con- contender. I agree. Yeah, so moving on to fantasy. Uh, first place, Ant-Man Motorcycle still dominating us. Yeah. Uh, who is Ant-Man Motorcycle? Do we know who that is? He's someone no from idea. Australia. And he's, if he, if please you're hit, hit us up Ant-Man on Twitter. Motorcycles, if you're listening to this, please get in touch with us so we know who you are. I, I don't know who he is. I know, you might know who he is, but like, he's just absolutely no. smashing it on the fantasy side. And he's just, I don't even know who the mm-hmm. guy is. Uh, second place, Tiger Motorsports. So Josh, that's me. Uh, third place, Rins Ten Ten. Myself. Fourth, Matic Motorsports. Fifth place, everyone's favorite name, Takanaka Wakagami. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Sixth, I want to. I want to yes. know who that is as well. That's a great name. Uh, sixth place, Bono. Uh, seventh, So Seven. Eighth, Buffalo Bill. Ninth, Triple Seven Six Fiver. Tenth. Pandora's box and eleventh, Danical motorcycle. So yeah, real I've just quick, made a, I, um, swap uh, as well. Well, real quick, I was looking at the results for this week. Top top earner for this week, this guy right here, hundred and twenty four points. How do you see? Next that? closest was a hundred and five. If you go up, um. The little oh, drop-down window where it says... Oh, yeah, see, yeah, see. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I have a little drop-down where it says all Grand Prix, and you can go to the Catalan Grand Prix. But it's weird because on the side, it still, like, tells you where mm. they are in the standing, so it's kind of weird to look at. Yeah, but I it mean, puts me... everyone in order by points of last race. Yeah, me and Josh last race had the same team near enough but just swapped around in a few positions so i have almost the same team as you guys yeah i've just swapped though i've just swapped um i've swapped peko out for Oliveira. i've done that before this year and it didn't pay off but i've only done it because we're going to saxon ring and i don't want to trust three ducatis at saxon ring so i've i've gone for ktm just with the new package and everything i've had benyaya and quattro as my gold riders for a while and I had Zarco as a silver rider. I might actually move Zarco up now that I think about it. But last week, I had Alicia Spargo on my team. And I swapped him out for Miguel Oliveira. I was just about to say, I've just looked at your GP points. And like you say, obviously, you're top. But 124, that's a great haul of points for a GP, that is. Well, and I had to boost Quattararo, which... I'm kind of like I wish I would have boosted Oliveira now that I also oh, like you boosted. Yeah, I boosted Quattararo, figuring he was going to do great that race. God, yeah. But I might boost Oliveira for Austria. That would be great Ooh, if he wins. That's that might, a good idea. That, that put, make him a gold and put him and boost him too. Yeah, might get me fifty points or whatever it is <laughs> that you might get. But yeah, I need I need to do something because my. Fantasy is just floating around at fifth. I was doing well at the start of the year, but I had that little segment where I swapped out Oliveira for Peko. And then 
Oliveira just well, no, I think I think I might have started off with Oliveira or something and I swapped it out for Pecco and he just did awful. So um yeah, I need to do something because you guys are doing a little bit better than me, so might need to change it. Yeah, you're floating around in sixth right now. Yeah. So not, not awful, but not great. You're only you are only one point behind Takanaka Wakagami. So yeah, there so is still whoever, whoever Takanaka Wakagami is, just know I'm coming he, for you, right? <laughs> he's he's someone from Great Britain too, so basically neighbours. So if if you know yeah. who you are, just know that if I get one more point than you next week, you're sitting in sixth. So watch <laughs> out. Yeah, I think that does it for today. Yeah, that is about it. That wraps it up. Mm-hmm. So, uh, like we said before, please be sure to follow us on Twitter at RedSectorMotoGP. You can follow myself at MattPolanski1. Josh is WilsonJ194. I was thinking 98. Damn it. <laughs> I'll get it eventually. Uh, and follow Bono, BonoGP. Uh, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review. Um, and, yeah, so with that, always remember, Keep the throttle pinned.